Hey everyone, welcome back to Sprouting Minds. A few weeks ago, I was trying to find a children's book about ALS, and I found this woman, Amalia, who self-published her very own book titled, But She Still Can Love, A Children's Understanding of ALS. I reached out to Amalia, and she was excited to come onto the podcast and share her journey. Amalia's mother was diagnosed with ALS and sadly passed away in October of 2020. But what came out of her journey was this new book, and she's here to talk to us about it today. If you're interested in purchasing the book, just go to the show notes and you'll find the link there. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I am well, thank you so much. Of course, I'm happy to find a time that works for both of us. <laughs> yes, I know, so sorry. It's literally been mayhem the past couple of weeks, so I appreciate you being flexible with me considering I'm the one that chose the time that I chose initially you know always good how that works out that's okay if I had been dealing with ninth high schoolers <laughs> is that what you said yeah yeah I would have needed a break too don't worry <laughs> I literally was like why did I do this to myself like as much as I was like oh I'll be fine I also don't think I it even dawned on me that that was like something that that would affect me but that happens a lot to me, uh, 30 plus years old. I think I can just do everything and it's just not the truth. So I'm with you. I am with you. <laughs> well, I love it. I'm glad that we finally met. I will always start off by warning my guests that my dog is right here <laughs> snoozing, which I'm hoping lasts the entire time, but who knows? No dog on that. your end this time, right? We have one, but um, she is off with my fiance. They are locked away, so we should be good to go. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I discovered you when I was on Amazon looking at ALS books for kids because there are lots of books for, I think, people living with ALS and for adults and family members, but not a lot geared towards kids and it's it's unfortunate, but it's true that a lot of family members, there are younger kids in the mix, and it's kind of a hard thing to comprehend if you're, you know, still growing your brain and still really young. And I came okay. across your book, which is one of the few books geared towards children. And before we get really into the book, I want to know a little bit more about your story and what led to writing this book sure um so the book in question is um but she still can love so um i wrote it uh, it'll be three years no it'll be two years um in april and um i really wrote it as an ode to my mom who um was diagnosed with als and on valentine's day um in 2019 um we always joked that that was you know, um, kind of a coincidence, but also we won't forget it. We won't forget that date ever. Um, but yeah, I, uh, just a little bit about me before I dive into, into my mom. So, um, I'm from Georgia, um, grew up, uh, really being very into, um, and interested in volunteering and, um, uh, you know, helping others and, and trying to, to, to find equitable paths for, um, you know, it started out with um, homelessness population. I think that's still probably where my heart lies um, most in terms of in general, but um, that kind of led me down a path of 
um, really trying to find different methods of service. And my degree, um, my undergraduate degree that I don't use so, so often anymore um, is in public health. Um, and really that was with the, the mentality that, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, to change the world, but a big one for me was just with health outcomes and health equity. Um, and fast forwarding to um, a couple years ago, my mom was diagnosed with ALS. Um, it was kind of funny because, um, you know, in my public health degree journey, I took a lot of courses um, talking about health equity, talking about um, these very similar issues. And then on top of that, my mom was a nurse of over um, 30 years. So she definitely knew what ALS was. She knew um, what um, really ALS and, uh, and Lou Gehrig's disease, as most people know it, um, is really all about and how it affects the nervous system um, and what it really was going to mean for, for her and her own health outcomes. Um, and so for both of us, it was kind of unreal at first um, to think that something that both of us were both so familiar with was happening to us. Um, but on top of that, like she was in her late 50s. Um, I was in my late 20s. Um, my niece, um, who her only granddaughter, she, um, you know, wasn't even 10 yet. And so um, this was just something that we couldn't have even fathomed have having been something that we would have to kind of explain to um, to a young child who was under 10, um, especially for my sister who, you know, she, she didn't follow in that path of being, um, you know, in the healthcare field. So um, this, this book, But She Still Can Love was kind of that, um, that ode to my mom and, and, it, and to my niece and their relationship, but also um, a necessary resource that really didn't exist when my mom was diagnosed, um, nor throughout our entire journey as a family with this disease. Um, so the, the premise behind it was kind of giving my niece a resource um, to understand what grandma was going through, but then also um, giving other children a resource to understand what, um, you know, whether it's grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, um, sister, brother, those kinds of things. Obviously, it's, it's in an older population, um, usually, but um, that was really kind of the, the call that I was trying to answer um, with this book. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm curious also, since, since you guys were in this field and you had an understanding of ALS, when your mom started to experience symptoms, did she, all, like, did she know right away what it was? Um, so for our situation, so ALS, just like a lot of other um, diseases like this, can really present very different in a lot of people. Um, and for my mom, it started with her kind of getting the dropsies, um, as we used to call it. And um, it started with her, you know, dropping her hair dryer every so often or, um, you know, just kind of dropping change or something, anything that was in her hand. And so I think at first, we nobody immediately jumped to that conclusion. I think we, um, both of us were a little bit concerned and neither one of us ever really said um, that that was something that we thought, but it also isn't, my mom wasn't um, necessarily of the population that typically um, is diagnosed with ALS. ALS generally affects um, most of the time men, um, which can be anywhere between after age 40, but lots of times it was, you know, kind of in the older populations. Um, usually it affects veterans, um, 
you know, and my mom didn't fall into any of those categories. So I think we, we stayed as positive and optimistic as we could, hoping that it was, you know, a pinched nerve or, um, you know, something going on with her back. She was misdiagnosed for probably a good year and a half before we figured out what it was. Um, and so I just, I don't think that either one of us really let ourselves go there um, until we knew for sure that that was something that really it could be. Yeah, I'm curious, and it's okay if you don't know, but I'm curious if that's the misdiagnosis is something that's pretty common, because as you said, like, it, the symptoms don't always point straight to ALS. There's so many different things that it could be. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, common. It's a tough test um, that it's not even technically one test that, that happens um, when you're diagnosed. And it also has to get to a point where they are so sure that um, it's, it's the disease that they're looking at that you would be sent to an ALS clinic, which is also um, a difficult place to get to unless they're really sure. Um, and it just comes from that idea that it's just a, it's still a, a rarer disease. It's starting to be a bit um, more common, but they also don't know if it's truly a bit more common or if it's just that it's kind of been amplified over the past couple of years a bit more that people are more um, knowledgeable of it um, you know with the ALS ice bucket challenge that definitely put it on the map um, with um, I don't know if you need if you've heard of this but um, probably since you're aware of the disease already but Zach Brown bands um, you know drummer he was diagnosed with it recently or he might be the bassist um, he was diagnosed with it recently so with um, the amplification of it, I think it might seem a bit more common, but it's definitely, um, it's still not. And, and it's still hard to diagnose as well, because once you're diagnosed, you really are given kind of a two-year window on average um, life expectancy. And so that makes it really difficult that if you aren't diagnosed or if you wait to get your symptoms, um, you wait until your symptoms have really progressed. Um, a lot of times it's it's really too late, which is one of the the many many um, big bummers about about the disease as a whole. Yeah. So from from the diagnosis to to now, how have you been able to work through all the different emotions that I'm sure one has during between finding out the diagnosis of your mom and then seeing this person that you love so so dearly you know losing skills because that's what ALS does you lose your speech you can lose your motor skills and it's I I had a student whose father has ALS and you know I was able to see him and it's it's heartbreaking but I wasn't in that family I was just an outsider and I was feeling all these things, so I can't even fathom what you and your family were going through. Yeah, um, it's really tough, and I, I feel for your student. It's um, especially knowing that your students are so young, um, incredibly unfair. And, you know, uh, it's a great question, still working through it. Um, it really has, it, it feels like it's been forever, and it feels like it was yesterday. Um, some days, um, some days I'm great. Some days I'm not. Um, I think that being in my late twenties and 
still feeling like I had so much and I still have so much to accomplish um, and so much life to live, I think has been the hardest part. Um, I've obviously uh, consumed a lot of, um, you know, grief, social kind of information, whether that's from podcasts. Um, Anderson Cooper's podcast recently was incredible. And um, I, uh, there, there's just been so much that I've consumed. And um, I think that Truly, it depends on the day. I've, I've become a part of a lot of, um, I've become a part of a grief group that um, specifically deals with um, young caregivers who have had parents who have passed from ALS. Um, this was started by Sarah Trott, who, um, for those who, who listen to your podcast, um, who know of Sarah, she was on The Bachelor a couple of seasons back, um, and she kind of had her um, experience with her own dad having ALS amplified um mildly unintentionally uh by being on the show and she started a caregiver group um that has really been integral to how I've kind of gotten through it um but I think that from diagnosis to while my mom was sick I think it was really and during my mom's sickness um I think it was about surviving um it was definitely about survival I don't think I could have fathomed having written this book um, while she was sick. I think a lot of things get put on the back burner. Um, some of those years even run together. You know, she um, really was only sick for a little less than two years. Um, and so a lot of that time is just a blur. Um, so since then, um, you know, it's been about, it's been two years now. And so I think that I've had the ability to sit back and kind of, um, reflect on those experiences and that has really only come with time um it's really only come with uh continuing to live life and being able to um you know mourn the the loss of not having my mom with me um you know I get married in in a couple of months that's been really really tough uh the last year is going through all of these emotions um and all of this seemingly the best time of my life but also um, on the other hand, the hardest time of my life, um, because she's not here. And it just, there's a lot of sweetness and there's also a lot of, um, you know, sadness that I still experience, but, um, with time it's, it's, it's not gotten better, but it's gotten a little bit more manageable, um, just because I've learned so much about my own self, um, in this time. So I, I, I think it, it's obviously very, very different for everyone, but um, I've found that, that the caregiver group that I'm a part of, um, it seems to, to be a similar um, aspect that we all go through because anticipatory grief is a real big thing, and um, especially with ALS. And so even when my mom was here, it, it felt like she wasn't sometimes, um, or, you know, just preparing for, for that ultimate demise. Like, it's the weirdest thing. No, it, like, we all know that our parents are are going to die one day. Um, I think our parents hope that it would, it will be before we do. Um, I think we also somewhat hope that, um, in a, in a weird way, I don't know that we ever really think about it unless it's something that happens. Um, but I think having that through mortality, ticking clock kind of deal happening, um, 
it definitely changes how, how you view life and, and how you view um, milestones. And so that's something that I'm still really dealing with um, to this day. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you, on one hand, knowing when the time might be, you, you don't take anything for granted, but there's still that part of you that doesn't want to have that time limit. You know, you just want it to be forever. And so the knowing is hard, the unknown is hard, and it's just, it's a no-win situation, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm glad that you had the time with your mom that you did, and I, I'm sure that it's really hard planning this wedding, but also this beautiful thing that's come from, you know, the past. Now you have this wedding to look forward to, and your book is, I know that when we first spoke, it wasn't something that you really promoted because you were just dealing with so many different things, but it's also a testament to you and your mom and this relationship. And was writing the book sort of a therapeutic outlet for you? And I'm curious if that if it's also hard to sometimes go back to because it is such a hard time of your life. Yeah, a thousand percent. So um, my mom passed in October of 2020 and um she actually it was the we say that this was the most the most marina thing that she could have done it was very much as much as she was on a timeline her passing was very much on her own time um and I know when you and I first spoke um and when you reached out you know I kind of said like do you believe in timing um and it was kind of a theoretical discussion we had back and forth but um I've really believed more and more in timing as um you know, my mom's passing has gone on because um, the day before she passed, we had uh, our own version of our ALS walk that we had for the um, Georgia chapter of the ALS Association. And since it was still COVID, we had to do it um, on our own. And uh, my parents have been a part of the same church community for the last 30 years. Um, like literally, they moved down here from up north and have been found a church and made a home and and it, th those people were our family. So um, we had those people. And then we had um, my aunt and my cousin and my sister come travel down from Pennsylvania to come to the walk. And she was surrounded by so many people that she loved. Everyone, you know, not everyone, but most everybody that she cared about that she really um, were her people. And um, she passed in the night, um, overnight. And it was one of those things that like, as much as her passing was expected it her passing wasn't as expected as um you know we thought like we thought we were still going to have so much more time we thought we were going to have this and that and um you know she did it on her own terms she went out on her own terms and so that was October of 2020 and after that it felt like I had such a profound like need to write this book like as fast as I could, because it almost felt like if I didn't do it right now, I was never going to be able to do it. Like I, I had to do it right now because it was something we had so we had talked about so many times writing a book together. Um, but from her perspective, she wanted to write a very scientific um, book that definitely was geared towards the, um, you know, the medical community. That was definitely something that was important to her. But like as much as my degree is in public health, like I'm not a doctor, I am not a nurse, like that wasn't my wheelhouse. Um, but something that I could do was I could simplify the message down in a way that um, we could, you know, this could be shared with somebody else's niece 
um, somebody's granddaughter. And so from October to April, um, I found a, so first of all, it was a cathartic process for sure, um, something that I felt like I had to do. Um, and then the process was so fast that it was a whirlwind that like I found a um, an incredible uh, illustrator, um, Maggie Horton. She is the best. Um, we got connected through an alumni group. Um, and it's truly like she she saw my vision and made it come to life, um, which I think was we talked about this all being like very much like a like a mom God thing. Um, that this all was working the way that it should. And she would say, I would say something or she would make a recommendation and I'd be like, well, she has, a, my mom has a direct line to you because that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what my mom would have wanted. Um, and then we self-published it. I self-published it in April and, you know, friends and family from that same church community were the main uh, purchasers of the book. Um, you know, I shared it on Facebook. I shared it on LinkedIn. My family shared it on Facebook. My friend shared it on Facebook, shared it on LinkedIn. And after that, it was like a, I, I had gotten a couple of um, uh, family friends reach out to me, one who worked at uh, a children's um, bookstore being like, hey, would let, like we should talk about promoting your book in store. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. And, you know, um, I never reached back out. And it was one of those things of I just couldn't. Um, and same thing with a friend of my dad who lives in Florida, like reached out and was like, we need to get you down here so that you can do a book reading. Like the, the bookstore down here, independent bookstore would love to promote your book. And I was like, that would be awesome. Like, yeah, let's talk about it in a few months. Never reached back out. Um, and anybody who knows me knows that's not me. I love to network. I love to connect. Um, and it just, it was like a, when that, when I pressed publish on the Amazon self-publishing platform it felt like like a true exhale like that was it I'm done um and I didn't know if I was ever going to come back to wanting to to promote it again um and in the last couple of months I had been talking to Andrew my fiance and I was like you know I really feel like I need to get this back out here again I really think that this could because I still I still see that um people are purchasing it which means that it truly filled a space where there was a need. Um, and it's doing that without my promotion. It's doing that without the promotion from anyone. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, I really need to pick this back up because I think this could do um, some real good. And it was never, that's like the funniest thing about it is like, this was never like a, I'm doing this um, to find fame or make money or do anything like that. Like most of the proceeds, the profits have gone straight to the ALS Association because um, that was important to both my mom and now to me um and then you reached out and this happened and um again I don't I the older I get and the more post my mom like I just don't believe in coincidences um yeah it's and you know I I had looked for a book for to put in my classroom the student that I referred to earlier this was oh my gosh at this point like four years ago and it was halfway through the year that the dad got diagnosed and I wanted to put a book in my classroom because she was only three. And he's like, okay, I need something that she would be able to relate to. And I couldn't find anything on Amazon. And I had her again the next year and I still couldn't find anything. And the father had progressed and 
you know, he would drop her off in his wheelchair, he would wheel in, and we had an elevator, and I mean, just the nicest family, and I was like, okay, I have to find something, and fast forward to now, my friend's father was diagnosed with ALS, and I'm like, Sorry. okay, we need to talk about something, and she's she's not coming on, because it's, it's, it's hard, it's really, really hard, and Part of me, you know, wants to help as much as I can, but also there's not much that I can do also, you know? And so I wanted to find someone who experienced the same thing and was ready to talk about it. And then I stumbled upon your book and it's like, that's what we need. We need, there's so many books for us adults, but we have these younger children and your niece was 10, you said? Yeah, she was a little younger. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's yeah. so hard. It's something that, you know, they, they try to understand, but it's hard. It's something that's, that their mind just can't wrap around with just visually seeing it. They need that written form or just other formats for them to grasp onto. So I was so happy that I came across your book, and I'm so happy to hear that people are buying it without even you promoting it. Like, that's that's the true testament to see that something that you put out there meant something that's bigger than just you. You're so kind to say that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, that was kind of um, the, the difficult part in trying to figure out the best way to um, kind of portray what happens with ALS or any other um, degenerative disease. Um, and so when thinking about that and when trying to put that into visual images, um, the biggest, the biggest piece that I could, I kept going back to was, okay, so for a child, you know, the only thing that we ever really told my niece was, you know, grandma is sick. Um, and because at that point, um, so she was, she would have been think like six or seven when my mom was diagnosed seven when she was diagnosed she'll be 11 at the end of the month which is crazy um but she you know she could see that every time she would come visit because they didn't they don't live nearby um but every time they would come visit you know something would be different about grandma whether it was you know grandma could no longer pick her up and put her on her lap herself and and either me or my sister would have to put her on her lap um or you know, grandma went from, um, you know, needing help walking across the room to now grandma is in a wheelchair. Um, or, you know, grandma didn't ever have anything on her face, but now grandma has her trilogy mask that she has on. Um, it was these subtle differences that I, that I knew we could effectively put into the book as in, you know, less than 20 pages um, that showed like a progression but and show kind of how the child would um you know kind of change as they went through grandma's or grandpa or whomever's illness um whether it was like you know grandma started out feeding um the granddaughter but then the granddaughter ends up feeding grandma you know things like that where it's this idea that they know something's going on you know they're perceptive enough we know kids are smart they're so so smart um, and they're perceptive enough to know that something's going on, even if you're not telling them that let's kind of synthesize it down into 
very, you know, kind of small, but definitely tangible changes throughout the book to just show that, you know, everything changes, but grandma can still love you. Um, grandma can still go on walks with you in her wheelchair, even when she's in a wheelchair. Um, you know, grandma can still watch you have a dance party, those kinds of things. And um, I think that that was the biggest thing in trying to understand how to best portray to a child um, the differences that that your person is going to to kind of come across and how they can best grasp it, you know? Yeah, and, and the biggest point being that the love is still there. So no matter what is happening to grandma, the love that she has for you is always there. And it's such a beautiful way to think about life. And I was thinking about my mom when I was younger would read um, I'll, I Love You Forever by Robert yeah. Munch. Yeah. And I feel like the, the your book is similar in the sense that you're showing this progression and the love is just always there no matter what. And that's that's kind of the biggest takeaway. You know, it's a degenerative disease. You know, unfortunately, there isn't any limit, right? But throughout the whole process, the love that you feel for one another is always there. And in in my mind, this book is just a testament to that and just something that's never not going to be needed. Unfortunately, it's never not going to be needed. Um, but I'm just thinking about all those younger kids out there who now have something to hold on to and help them process this. So I, I can't imagine the the moments that you have while holding on to this book and that are hard, but also thinking about the good and that it's bigger than you, which is just, I think, more than you probably ever thought of. Absolutely. And I mean, those Amazon reviews that people leave that are just so kind to take the time to like say things like those will break you, man. Like those are just, they're, they're so kind, but like it's every so often I'll go, um, you know, especially if I haven't been thinking about the book or if I have, I still have friends and family, you know, text me pictures of their kids reading it. Um, at night and being like, this is, you know, Elizabeth's favorite bedtime book. And, um, or like my, my child got to bring in a book to school today and they chose your book. Like those kinds of things mean the world to me. Um, and I think that it just also shows that just like you said, like past the idea that, um, obviously this book specifically was written with ALS in mind. I think for any child who, who might lose grandma or grandpa as a young child one day, um, or mom or dad or whomever, like, it's that idea that truly, no matter what, like, and so for me, as a 31-year-old, um, about to be, like, in 32 in a couple of months, like, I also need that reminder of, you know, my mom might not be here, but I feel her love every day. I feel her love um, when I get to kind of hear her legacy and talk to, to people like you. And, um, you know, when people ask me about her or, um, you know, do bring up the book, whether it's from seeing it on my LinkedIn or um, somebody sharing it with them, like that, that's the point at the end of the day. It's this, it's this idea that we create as much as our family while they're here create or friends who never create a legacy for themselves while they're on this earth. We also have the ability to carry that legacy on um, even after they're gone. And, you know, so many people feel the love of 
grandma, aka my mom, um, far after you know her earthly presence, and and that means the world. So. Yeah, well, I I thank you so much for coming on. I I'm so glad that I came across this book, and I hope that if you wind up coming to New York to promote it at any point, I am here and I will come. Perfect. Sounds great. Well, Amalia, this was delightful. Thank you so much for coming and taking time out of your night to join me, and I will definitely stay connected with you and have fun dancing. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you, Andy. Really appreciate it. Of course. I will reach out to you with further information. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. No problem. Bye. All right. Bye.